Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, we, are not those who eat of the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You may be seated. Gracious God, by your blood we are free. And so, as we go into your word now, open our hearts to see the freedom we have in you, to see the joy abundant that you've given us through your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I just want to add my welcome to John's welcome, our part-time executive pastor, part-time comedian. He's very good. <laughs> so, last week, uh, my wife Jess and I, we were watching some talent show auditions on the internet. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's a performer that goes in front of a, a number of people, sort of like this. <laughs> and they, they perform, and if they, the judges like them, they go on through to the next round. If the judges don't like them, they get buzzed out. You know, there are some performers, the moment they open their mouths, you know they're destined to be a star, to, to have that hit. There are some performers, the moment they open their mouths, you know they're just going to get buzzed out. It's sort of like that with our passage today, isn't it? You, know, you look through it and it's one of those that it either seems very confusing or it seems entirely irrelevant. It talks about blood and bread and sacrifices. It talks about sacrificing to demons. And then, and then when you work through all of that, it says... It talks about God's jealousy, definitely a topic that most of us actively try to avoid. But I hope that by the end of our time together, we'll see that this passage is very relevant for all of us. In fact, it gives a beautiful picture of God's love for all of us. We're going to go through this passage in three points, the instruction, the elaboration, and the reason. The instruction, the elaboration, and the reason. So let's look at our first point, the instruction. We're, we're, in the, we're in the letter of 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And our passage today is part of a broader section in the letter. It started way back in chapter 8, where Paul is answering a question that the Corinthian church asked him about food offered to idols. Specifically, the Corinthians were asking about meat offered to idols because back then, most of the meat that anyone ate would have first been offered to idols. And the church was split. They didn't know whether you could eat meat that would probably have been offered to an idol. And as for those who have been with us for, uh, when we went through that, you know that Paul says, yes, it's fine. It's fine to eat meat offered to idols. Look at 8 verse 4. 
We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. See, Paul writes that it's fine to eat food offered, uh, to eat meat even if it's been offered to idols because these idols have no real existence. Look at verse 8 in chapter, uh, verse eight in chapter 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. However, Paul gives one condition. You can eat meat unless it leads others to idolatry. You see, there would have been people who were so poor that the only way they would ever have eaten meat is when meat was given out for free at the idol worship festivals. There were others who would have grown up only ever eating meat as part of the ritual meals as part of these idol worship festivals. So for, these, for people like these, they always associated eating meat with idolatry. And so Paul's point is that you have the right to eat meat, but if you're eating meat makes others think that you are worshipping an idol, or worse still, that it's okay for a Christian to worship an idol, you should give up your rights for the sake of others. He says you have the right to eat meat unless it leads others to idolatry. In chapter 9, then Paul elaborates on the topic of giving up your rights, but then he circles back around in chapter 10 to this topic of idolatry again, as he uses the Israelites in the Old Testament as an example. Look at 10 verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Which leads us into our passage for today, still part of the of the main section in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You see, we're still on the topic of idolatry. Paul spends so much time talking about idolatry because it's an age-old problem. It was a problem for the Israelites 5,000 years before. It was a problem for the Corinthians 2,000 years before, and it's still a problem for us today. Idolatry means worshipping idols, serving them, giving of our loyalty, our love, our trust, and even of ourselves to idols. Let me say that again. Idolatry means worshipping idols, serving them, giving of our loyalty, our love, our trust, and even of ourselves to idols, to something created rather than the creator, to something or someone who is not God. Paul's instruction is clear, isn't it? We can, we can all see it in the verse. Flee, avoid, run away, do whatever you can to run away from worshipping idols. You know, when I, was, when I was thinking about how to illustrate this concept of avoiding and running away, I was thinking, what has the whole world spent the last two years actively avoiding and running away from? The answer, of course, it's responsibility for our actions. Or, you know what I'm talking about, right? COVID. Don't you remember, especially in the early months, when we did everything we needed to do to avoid and run away from COVID? Shutting down schools and workplaces and playgrounds, endless sanitizer, going into the supermarket and disinfecting the trolley. You see, we avoided and ran away from COVID because we knew how harmful and destructive it was, and infinitely more so with idolatry, isn't it? 
You see, in Christianity, there are points of doctrine and practice where it's okay to agree to disagree. Like what music should be played in the church? What you should wear in the church? Whether a meal should be called potluck or pot blessing? <laughs> Churches have been split over this. Let me... <laughs> See, but then there are instructions where there is no space for any sort of disagreement. Like verse 14... Flee from idolatry. See, idolatry is never okay. So stay as far away from it as you possibly can. This is, is a huge topic and there are many ways to apply this instruction because there are many ways we can fall into idolatry, aren't there? In our passage, Paul elaborates by applying this instruction in a very specific way. That's, that's our second point for today, the elaboration See, in chapter 8, Paul has said that it's okay to eat meat offered to idols unless it leads someone else to idolatry. In our passage, Paul gives another unless. We can see that, can't we? It's okay to eat meat offered to idols unless by eating meat, you are participating in idolatry yourself. Before I go on, I, I just need to point out the obvious point of application here. This passage, the Corinthians shows us that there is a way to exercise our rights in a way that is wrong. You see, instead of focusing on what we have the right to do, our focus must be on furthering the gospel. While we have rights, as Christians, we must take care not to exercise our rights in a way that leads ourselves or others to sin. And this was the problem with the Corinthians. In our passage today, we see some Corinthians who, in exercising their right, Paul affirms, it is their right to eat meat offered to idols, they have ended up in idol worship themselves. See, they were taking part in the pagan temple meals that were part of the, of the temple ritual of idol sacrifice and worship. That, that's what Paul is referring to when he talks about the cup and table of demons in verse 20. Let's look at it. No, he writes, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You see, in elaborating on the point, Paul gives two examples here. Two examples to elaborate on why taking part in a pagan temple meal as part of a ritual of idol sacrifice and worship is idolatry. You wonder why does he have to spell it out? But he does. First, he uses the example of communion, which, which is also known as Lord's Supper. Look, look at verse 16 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You see, the Lord's Supper is something Christ Jesus calls all Christians to observe. Because Jesus died on the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that by faith we might have a covenant relationship with God. The covenant relationship with God means the relationship we have based on commitment, where we commit to God, and God commits 
to us. And so we're united with God. We share in the benefits and blessings of being in this union with God. And the Lord's Supper symbolizes this new covenant, this new union that we have with God through Christ. See, the cup of blessing is the wine or the juice that we take that symbolizes Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. See, when we consume the bread and the wine, it symbolizes our participation in, our union, our sharing in the blood and body of Christ, our participating in the benefits and blessings of the covenant relationship we have in Christ through His blood that was shed and His body that was broken. Paul builds on this with a second example. Look at verse 18. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. Paul is referring to passages such as Deuteronomy 14, where Paul gives instructions to the Israelites to have a meal to eat portions of the sacrificed food after the actual sacrifice. And we, and we learned that eating the sacrificed food was a way of participating in the entire sacrifice ritual. And he united them to each other as they united to God. This is why non-Israelites were not allowed to participate in this meal. And that's why Israelites were punished for, for participating in sacrificial meals to other gods. We need to take some time to work through this because it's important to understand this. The same way that we participate in Christ whenever we have communion, the same way that the Israelites participated in the sacrifice when they ate the sacrificial meal, Paul says that's what's happening when the Corinthians sacrifice to demons and eat of that meat during the meal. Participating in sacrificial meals to idols means participating in the demons behind those idols. We can see this unpacked from verse 19, where Paul writes, What do I imply then? The food, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. See, in verse 19, Paul clarifies what he's already written in chapter 8. There is no significance in the food or the physical idol itself. He said this in chapter 8, an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. But there is there are such things as demons and evil spirits. For example, we see them referenced throughout the Gospels when they, when they describe Jesus' life and ministry. The point is that demons and evil spirits are not gods, but that doesn't mean they're not nothing either. Participating in sacrificial rituals to them means participating in them. That's why Paul says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. I need to reiterate, we don't need to be afraid of them, but that doesn't mean we should worship them or want to have anything to do with them. So what does this mean for us? Well, for some of us, all this talk of spiritual practices seems highly irrelevant. But for some of us, We've been waiting for a teaching on this for a very, very long time. Welcome to the diversity of God's church. I guarantee you in this room, there are some of us for whom we've already switched off because this seems highly irrelevant. 
But there are some of us for whom this seems very relevant. So as we learn to love everyone in our church, we need to guard ourselves from the mistake of thinking, this has never happened to me, so it doesn't happen at all. Or worse still, we need to guard ourselves from thinking, this is not important to me, so it's not important to anyone else. See, verse 17 puts it so well, we who are many are one body. And being part of a body that is bigger than ourselves means that we take time to learn and appreciate the struggles that others go through that we may not go through. Because for some of us here, this teaching on spiritual practices is highly relevant. Scholar Craig Blomberg talks about how our culture today increasingly seeks to recover, to revive, and even participate in ancient spiritual practices. There's some of us here, aren't there, who, for whom our quest for inner peace and spirituality has led us to participating in spiritual practices that are not of God. There's some of us in our desire to, in our good desire to acknowledge our land's heritage, we have ended up participating in the worship of idols. I know from first-hand experience, there are preschools in our city that bring the children to tree worship festivals, to go through tree worship rituals. There are others for us. The culture that we grew up in actively pressures us into participating in spiritual practices that are not of God. For some of us, after we became Christian, we needed to figure out the very practical question of what do we do with the physical idols in our house? Or what do we do about the physical idols in the house of our parents and our relatives and our friends? For some of us, we grew up being told that respecting our parents and our ancestors means worshipping them. We were told that honouring our family means participating in superstitious practices and rituals. I know for a fact there are some of us here where the very act of becoming Christian has been interpreted by our family as a betrayal of our family and our heritage. Who see it as turning our backs on our community and our heritage. And if that's you, I can't imagine how difficult it must be for you, but as difficult as it is, as a follower of Christ, God tells us this, we need to draw a line in the sand. God calls us to flee idolatry, to flee from worshipping idols, to flee from giving anyone the impression that Christians can worship idols. We need to be clear here. Loving God and committing to Him does not mean that we must disrespect our family or cut off ties from our community. It does not mean that. But it does mean that for some of us, we need to ask God's help to learn how to respect and to learn how to respect someone without agreeing with them. We need to ask for help to learn how to acknowledge without participating in what we shouldn't participate in. You see, we need, we need God's help to teach us how to love our families and for our families and our friends and community to receive that love in a way that's not, that does not compromise our loyalty and love and trust and commitment to God. 
And again, I, I need to reiterate, I know this is easier said than done, and this is something you are wrestling with. Come and talk to one of us, one of the pastors, one of the staff, one of your CG leaders, and we would love to walk through this with you. Because as part of our covenant relationship with God, for all of us, we're working through what it means to commit to worshipping God and God alone. Which brings us to our third point, the reason we are to flee idolatry. Look at verse 22 with me. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? There's that word, isn't it? Jealousy. We are to flee from idolatry because worshipping idols provokes God to jealousy. Well, at least that's what it says in the Bible. You know, when I was in school, one of the books that we had to study was this play written by Shakespeare uh, titled Othello. And at this point, spoiler alert, although to be honest, it was written 600 years ago. And so if you're not bothered to read it by now, I don't think you'd be bothered by the spoiler. <laughs> you see, one of the key themes of of the story is how jealousy, one man's jealousy destroys him and all those that he cares about. There's a quote that, uh, even 20 years on, I still remember it. It's, jealousy is the green-eyed monster that mocks the meat it feeds on. Jealousy is the green-eyed monster that mocks the meat it feeds on. Isn't that how most of us view jealousy? As a green-eyed monster? as something that is inherently harmful and self-destructive. That's why we struggle so much to even think that God can be jealous. So what should we make of it? Theologian J.I. Packer puts it this way, there is a type of jealousy among humans that is bad, a vicious jealousy that says, I want what you've got and I hate you because I haven't got it. It expresses itself in envy, malice and meanness of action. This is the green-eyed monster jealousy that Shakespeare is referring to. But then Packer continues. But there is another sort of jealousy, zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when broken. Scripture consistently views God's jealousy as being of this latter kind, that is, as an aspect of His covenant love for His people. All the mosaic references to God's jealousy have to do with idol worship in one form or another. You see, we struggle with seeing God as a jealous God because all too often, we have only experienced the bad kind of jealousy, the kind of jealousy that is based on wanting what is not ours to have and is expressed in doing what is wrong. But that's not the jealousy of our God. God's jealousy is a good and righteous jealousy, a jealousy that is rooted in His covenant love, that is based on, on keeping and seeking what is rightfully His and is expressed by only doing what is good and right. See, as Packer says, instead of imposing our own views of what jealousy is onto God, we need to understand what God means when He talks about jealousy on His terms. In terms of covenant love and idolatry. So my wife Jess and I have been married for about nine years now. Nine years ago, we entered into a covenant with each other, an exclusive, sacred relationship where we committed to, uh, ourselves to each other, promising to belong to no one else. Now, if I were to go and cheat on Jess with another woman, 
I don't expect her to just passively say, you do you. No, I, I fully expect her to go, what are you doing? I'm yours and you're mine. You belong to no one else. Because that's what we promised each other. That's, that's the commitment of our covenant. And that's how it is with God. When Jesus came, he came to die on the cross for us. To, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we can have a covenant relationship with him. So he can say, I'm yours and you're mine. You belong to no one else. Jesus gave from himself so that we might be his beloved. Look at how Paul describes the Corinthians Christians in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, beloved by Paul, but also beloved by God. See, as beloved, God calls us to give of ourselves to him, to commit to him and him alone because we belong to him and to him alone. He gave of himself so that we could be his. And even as we're going through this, God's covenant love is such a beautiful antidote to the loneliness of our culture, isn't it? See, for those of us who are struggling with isolation and insignificance, this is a God who is jealous for you. He wants you completely for himself because he created you completely for himself. He is jealous for you to live into the true freedom and joy He created you for. And that is how He is most glorified. It is not a covenant relationship where He just wants to take from us. No, He wants us for Himself so He can give of Himself to us. So much so that He gave of Himself. He gave of Himself so that you can have the freedom and joy that can only come from being in a covenant relationship with Him. And so it's in this context of God's covenant love for us that we can see why idolatry is so terrible, can't we? It's not just harmful and destructive to us, it's an abomination in and of itself and so offensive to God. Looking at who God is and what Jesus came on the cross to do for us and, and just saying, we don't care. It's cheating on God, giving of ourselves to idols, perverting the covenant relationship we have with Him, breaking our promise and displaying a complete lack of gratitude for who God is and what He has done for us. And yet, we are all so prone to idolatry, aren't we? Like the Corinthians. Because there's something so attractive about idols and what we think they can give us. So here's a thought experiment. Why do you think the Corinthian Christians worshipped idols? Why did they do it? For some of them, it may have been out of ignorance. They didn't realize that it was wrong. And that's fine. They were very new Christians and that's why Paul takes the time to explain to them, to spell it out why it was wrong. But I don't think that's the only reason that they worshipped idols. 
For others, it might have been out of a desire for control. Perhaps just hedging their bets. You know, worshipping other deities and gods just in case those gods could help swing things in their favour. I, I believe in the Christian God. I am a Christian, but you never know. Those other gods and idols may, may have some say. I'm a Christian, but you know, I, I'm just doing this. I'm giving them this token. It might have been out of a desire for approval. Everyone else is going to the temple. What would they think of me if I don't? My family goes to the temple. They are fine with me being a Christian, but this is our family thing, so I need to go with them. It might have been out of a desire for power. The powerful people participate in temple meals. It's the best place to network and it's the place to get deals done. Because there's this sense of camaraderie that we have. It's that, that's how business is done in this city. It's just being practical. If, if you want to get a hit, that's what you have to do. It might have been out of a desire for comfort. I've always been going to the temple and I, I just don't really want to stop now. There's something about the vibe of the temple ritual that just helps me feel this, this unspeakable peace that I don't want to let go of. Control, approval, comfort, and power. I wonder if it might be the same with us today. Is there an idol that we're serving today? It may be a physical idol, but it also may not be. Is there something or someone in our life that is not God that we give of our loyalty, our love, our trust, and even of ourselves too? Where does our mind go when it's got nothing else to think about? What keeps us up at night? What gets us up in the morning? What does our happiness depend on? What grieves us? See, the point is for many of us, it's not physical idols we sacrifice to, but the idols of control, approval, power, and comfort, and perhaps something else. And then these idols become the focus of our lives and worship. We end up sacrificing our loyalty, our trust, and even of ourselves. For myself, I struggle with all four of these and even more so, but especially with approval. You probably have heard me talk about this before. You know, even in preparing for this sermon on the topic of idolatry, upon some reflection, I, I, I found myself worried more about what you would think of me from this sermon than serving God and serving the church. And somehow I suspect I'm not alone even with the very best of intentions, we are prone to worshipping idols. And so we need to remind ourselves every day to flee from idols. Christ City, the solution to fleeing from idols is to see who we're fleeing to. You see, Christ gave up control by submitting His will to God the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And so now, we can trust in the plan of the one who is in complete control. Christ gave up the approval of others. He was condemned and rejected and beaten and even spat on. 
so that we might have the approval of the only one whose approval matters. Jesus gave up his power, he gave up his comfort when he came to earth and suffered and died on the cross. He gave this up so that we might rest in God's power, so that we might enjoy the freedom and joy that comes from a covenant relationship with God. Christ City, we need to see who we are in Christ and what it cost Him to win us to Himself. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry and flee to Christ. Christ. 